began to pray. We prayed so hard that my wife fell asleep. My mother-in-law, who was in, in the delivery room, she fell asleep, and I was left alone praying. And at some point, something shifted. You know, it sort of shifted in my heart and in my spirit. And I, and I, I transitioned from just praying in a, you know, in a supplication kind of manner. And I started declaring. I said, you know what? In the name of Jesus, I call this child forth. I just speak over my wife right now. And we just, we just command this child to come forth. Lord, you put the baby in there, and surely you know how to bring her out. And so I began to just speak over her. And, and I was hungry and, and tired, and so I got some food and came back. And when they came back in the room and they checked my wife, they said, the baby's head's poking out, and it said, run. So I had to throw my chicken wings down on the floor, and I, I just ran and <laughs> grabbed my wife, and we delivered the baby. This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and today on the show, we have Pastor Keenan Bridges. Are you there? I'm here. All right. How are you doing today? I'm so blessed. I, I really can't complain about anything. That's wonderful. Well, we're so happy to have you on the show today. Uh, pastor Bridges is an author, and he's the senior pastor of Grace and Peace Global Fellowship in Tampa, Florida. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today because you have a book out called The Power of Prophetic Prayer. What, what inspired you to write about that topic? Well, it's very, very um, sort of a personal journey. Uh, being in ministry, being a pastor, you know, there are several challenges, uh, not only in the, in the church and in the ministry, but also in home and all these different things. And as I was sort of hitting those walls, you know, in my, in my life and ministry, the Lord began to deal with me, and he he really he really began to speak to me out of the Gospels. And there was an account where Jesus talks about the woman who goes before the unjust judge, and he gives a parable to the extent that men ought to pray and not faint, or not give up, or lose heart. And he says that this woman goes before this judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear man. Uh, and he just keeps rejecting her, but she keeps coming before him night and day. And finally, he says, even though I don't fear God or regard man, because she keeps persistently coming before me, she keeps she keeps insisting that I vindicate her in this this case. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer. I'm going to I'm going to judge in her favor. And he says, how much more shall God avenge His elect and come before Him night and day? And and, and God began to really speak to me about prayer and 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 sort of. There's the religious concept of prayer, but then there's the kingdom or biblical concept of prayer, which prayer is more than just a religious activity. It's really a legal transaction. If you look at that parable and we 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 sort of decipher the, the code in that scripture, he's telling us that God is a righteous judge. And when we pray, we're imploring the courts of heaven to move on our behalf. And uh, before that, I used to pray pathetically. And then God taught me how to pray prophetically. In other words, I, I didn't just allow my circumstances to dictate to me how I would feel, the way I re, would react, but I began to to speak God's word. You know, the Bible says in Job twenty two twenty eight, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established. And we began to pray. My wife and I would come together. I even remember coming home from a very difficult outreach 
we weren't getting any results and things like that. And my wife looked at me and she said, what do you see? And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting here with you. She says, well, what, what do you see? And after a couple of times, I started to catch the illumination of what she was saying. She asked me, basically, what do you see from heaven's perspective? And I began to close my eyes and I said, you know what? I see people getting saved. I see homes being restored. I see families being healed. I see people being delivered. I see people coming off of drugs. And I began to declare that. And things began to change in our in our ministry, in our family. We began to grow. And it was all because of the power of prophetic prayer. So the Lord began to walk me through that journey. And, uh, you know, one of my assignments now is to help people to understand it better. That's fantastic. And we really appreciate you just sharing that story and how it led you to writing this book then. So one thing that I was wondering about then, you talk about how you now pray prophetically. Can you kind of elaborate on the relationship between prayer and prophecy and how those go together? Oh, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there are two concepts of the prophetic. You know, we have, we see in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, if you will. So the prophecy, one of the, the Hebrew words for it is a navi, and it means to to swell or to bubble. Uh, that's one of the words for, for prophecy. Uh, Peter tells us a little bit more about it in his epistle, and he says, In the old times, men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, um, these men and women were divinely inspired. Uh, something would come over them, and they would prophesy. And it, it, usually, it usually involved either foretelling the future or releasing some sort of judgment. And um, that's sort of most people's concept of the prophetic. Uh, the word prophecy in the New Testament takes on a slightly different connotation. Not that prophecy is no longer uh, foretelling, because that's the main thing people think about, but the word uh, profero means to bring forth or to speak under divine inspiration or to speak or release an inspired message. So when, when we talk about prophecy in the New Testament, it's not just limited to foretelling the future. You know, it also includes edification, exhortation, comfort. But a great way to describe it is the word forth-telling, or to declare, to declare the purpose of God. And so there's, a, there's an aspect of prayer that's not just supplication or intercession, but there's an aspect of prayer that's really prophetic. You know, when you look at Abraham, the Bible talks about in Romans, it says, God will quicken the dead and cause those things that be not as though they were. And we know that Abraham was a prophet. I'll give you an example. When God told him to sacrifice Isaac, the Bible says that he told Isaac, you know what, Isaac, God will provide. <laughs> you know, And really, he, he was not necessarily lying. He was speaking prophetically. He knew the nature of God, and he knew that God could not lie. The Bible further tells us that, you know, Abraham knew in his heart that God would even raise up Isaac again from the dead if need be. So when we talk about prayer and prophecy, there's an aspect of prayer that's not just uh, asking God something, but also declaring. And a great example for me is when my first daughter was born. My wife had a lot of complications in the pregnancy. The, you know, my daughter was high birth weight in the womb. And, well, they speculated that she would be a high birth weight baby. My wife 
was just going through a lot of health challenges. At this point, during the delivery, she was in labor for about 24, 26 hours. Oh, wow. And she wasn't even dilating at all. And uh, so the doctor said we need to do an emergency C-section because if we don't, then, you know, your wife's going to have some serious problems. You know, we don't want the baby's heart rate to drop and all these different things. So my wife didn't want that, nor did she believe that was God's will for her. And so we, we began to pray, you know. The doctors came in again and said, listen, we checked her again. She's still not dilated. If we don't do something now, you know, we're going to have some problems. And I said, listen, doc, give me one hour. Just give me one hour. We're going to pray this thing through. They said, okay. And so we began to pray. We prayed so hard that my wife fell asleep. My mother-in-law, who was in, in the delivery room, she fell asleep, and I was left alone praying. And at some point, something shifted. You know, it sort of shifted in my heart and in my spirit and i and I, I transitioned from just praying in a you know in a supplication kind of manner and i started declaring i said you know what in the name of jesus i call this child forth i just speak over my wife right now and we just we just command this child to come forth lord you put the baby in there and surely you know how to bring her out and so i began to just speak over her. and and i was hungry and, and tired and so i got some food and came back and when they came back in the room and they checked my wife, they said, the baby's head's poking out. And they said, run. So I had to throw my chicken wings down on the floor. And I, I just ran and <laughs> grabbed my wife and we delivered the baby. And she was healthy, beautiful. And we, you know, that's our baby girl, Ella. And we just love her to no end. But God spoke to me after that. And he said, you know what? Your wife was not the only one that was giving birth to something. He says, while she was giving birth to your physical daughter, you were giving birth to the prophetic, to the supernatural. And that's when I realized that prayer is really the labor room of the supernatural, the labor room of the prophetic. It's where we, we birth out those promises of God that he's spoken over our lives, that he's spoken in, in his word. And we have to come into agreement with heaven so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's really the relationship. Wow, what a realization to have there and just and just like such a intense experience with that too. So then mm. one thing I wonder about then when you bring that up is at least in my own prayer life, a lot of what I do is what you described as supplication, asking God for things. Uh, mm. Because like a lot of times I think through it of like, well, God has his will and I don't know what God's will is. So I don't want mm. to demand things of him. I don't want to be... Uh, declaring things that maybe he doesn't have in his plan. How do how do you deal with that necessarily? Well, it's 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 it's, it's interesting. You know, the Bible talks about uh, Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the 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 word word there actually is the Greek word rhema, and it it means the living voice, the active living voice. And so what happens is we know, biblically speaking, that the Word of God is the will of God. You know, the, it's like if you were to be um, scientific about it, our brain has what you call synapses, which are basically nerve connections that fire back and forth. This is what controls our motor function. And so science is so evolved now that they can put, a, they can put your brain on a scan and they can literally read your mind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because, wow. Yeah, what they're doing is they can look at the, how 
how the nerves are firing in the brain. They can tell which part of your brain is active. Well, I want you to imagine that the Bible is like a CAT scan or brain scan. It's the way we map what's on the mind of God. Not in a mystical kind of way, but I just mean, I'm trying to use this analogy. So when we read the Word of God, it begins to reveal the will of God. Now, the, the challenge a lot of people have is that we know, the Bible says, for example, it says, um, whoso finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, we know biblically that it's God's will for a man to find a wife, right? The, the sort of the order of the, the matter. Right. No, but everybody doesn't know whether they're supposed to be married. Everybody doesn't know who their husband is supposed to be. That's not in the, you can't go to First John chapter 5 and see the name of your husband in there. What, <laughs> wouldn't that wife. be convenient? Wouldn't that just be, be convenient good. for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> it would be good, but it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> so what, what we do is we commune with the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible talks about. Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He helps our infirmity. What, what is our main infirmity? We don't know everything. And what does the Scripture say? Romans eight twenty six. it says, He that knows, it, it, it says that he that knows, he, the Holy Spirit searches the mind of God and makes intercession for the saints. So when we talk about praying prophetically, you cannot separate intimacy with the Holy Spirit from prayer. And this is one of the keys that I think that the Church is so desperately in need of. When Jesus says, he says, uh, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. Well, a lot of people may not know this, but, you know, Jesus was Jewish. He, he spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and they spoke some Greek and Latin. But his culture, his religious sort of affinity was among the Jewish people. And so when he taught, he was using Jewish idiomatic expressions. And when he says, go into your closet, they didn't have you know, a bunch of closets where women kept all their shoes. That, that wasn't something they had in the first century. The, the term closet had a different connotation. What he was really referring to was actually the tallit or the prayer shawl, because the rabbis would use the tallit, and they saw it as sort of a mobile tabernacle. The Pharisees had a phylactery. They would take the, 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 the tallit or the talitot with the fringes and the hinges, I'm sorry, and they would, they would cover themselves. But it was also an idiomatic expression for intimacy. In other words, the word prayer closet is also translated bedchamber. Now, what happens in a bedchamber? It's where husband and wife consummate. So the, the, the place of prayer is a place of consummation, where the Holy Spirit, where we're intimate with the Holy Spirit, and what he does is he sees something within us. We are in, in a, and I don't want to be weird, I know we have some male listeners, but, but there's an impregnation that happens spiritually, where we basically, we begin to get a revelation on a personal level of the will of God. And once the will of God is revealed, once the will of God has been revealed to us, then we have the authority and the audacity to declare boldly that that will come to pass. It's like when God shows you what, what he wants in a situation, it's up for grabs. You can begin to declare because you know that you are in total agreement with heaven's agenda. 
So what does that look like practically then to lead out a lifestyle of prayer day to day? Well, I believe that you can't really have a successful prayer life if you don't have a disciplined life of being in God's Word. You know, because the Word of God is what provokes us to pray. I don't know about you, but many times when I'm reading the Word and meditating in the Word, and by meditating I simply mean when we meditate, we sort of ponder. It's a Hebrew word, Haggad, means to speak over and over again, to ponder, to mutter, to sort of just think about it and, 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 and think about how you can apply the Word to your life. And when you mix the Spirit and the Word together, it becomes an explosive power. And I think just practically of spending time, you know, setting time aside to pray, setting time aside to study God's Word, and to, and to really apply that word to our heart and ask the Lord for the wisdom to apply it to our, our lives, different situations. And the more we do that, I think the more prayer will become a lifestyle, will become something that we practice. You know, we can't just pray in emergencies. You have to live a lifestyle where you practice the presence of God, where you practice prayer. So I think that's the practical aspect of it. Okay, cool. Thanks. That, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of our listeners. And then moving from the individual to the societal level, how, how do we as believers need to be praying into this moment in culture? And that's a great question. We have two biblical examples. One is in Daniel 9, um, <clears throat> because if we look at the the book of Jeremiah, we know that historically— that the Israelites were brought into captivity. And this was a prophecy given through Jeremiah that Babylon would basically bring them into captivity, they would enslave them, and um, that happened historically. So, But it was supposed to last for 70 years. And in Daniel, we see that he realizes, and this goes back to the word and prayer, he realized through, through going through the scrolls that something was wrong. You know, we've been here too long. We weren't, we weren't supposed to be here this long. We've expired our time according to what the scrolls have were written. And so he begins to pray. And the first thing he, he begins to do is he begins to repent on behalf of the nation of Israel. He says, we're so, we've gone away from your ordinances. We've, we've transgressed. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, for time. But, but that whole book of Daniel 9 I talk about in, in the book that I wrote. And he begins to basically call God to remembrance of what he promised. And we see that immediately when he does that, there's a shift in the spiritual atmosphere. There's a war that begins to happen. And, and I think what we need to do is we need to look at what God's Word says about our nation. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So we know what God's will is concerning America. He wants a nation that honors him, a nation that protects the life of the innocent, the unborn. We know what he wants because he's told us in his word. But now it's time for you and I to take our places. The Bible says in Isaiah, he says, I, I went to and fro, and he says, and I saw no man, and I saw no intercessor. Where are the intercessors? Where are the people who are praying? Where are the people who are who are standing in the gap? Second Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And then it says something even more powerful after that verse that most people never quote. It says, then will I be attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And so I believe that what we need to do as a church is we need to take our places. We need to, we need to, and this might even be controversial, I, I feel that in many ways we have abdicated our spiritual authority and we've left the fate of our nation in the hands of politicians. And I'm all for politicians who, you know, are godly, and I feel that we should hold our politicians accountable. And, you know, the Bible says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, and I'm all for that. But I believe that as a church, we're the ecclesia. We are who Jesus described in Matthew 16. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it's time for us to legislate. We went to the polls, that's great, but we need to do some legislation from our prayer closets. And we need to pray, and we need to begin to call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, and the God of America, because God does love America. He's not through with America. He still has a plan, a purpose for us. And so I believe that God is calling us to pray, and he's calling us to speak life and to speak prophetically into the atmosphere, in our prayer closets, to other people when we pray so that we can see a shift. And I, and I, I'll say this last thing, you know, what we, what we saw recently and what we've seen in many years is really the power of prophetic prayer. When, when saints get together and they begin to pray, you know, they did a recent poll that said 81% of, uh, of uh, evangelicals were, were, were voting, you know, this election, one of the highest they've ever seen. In history, if my numbers are correct, they may not be absolutely correct, but that's what I read somewhere. And uh, if that's true, I believe that there was there was a stirring, not just in how people were voting, but also what was in people's hearts and their 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 desire to see change. And we need to take that godly discontent with what's going on around us, and we need to pray through that, and and so that God can use that prayer as the driving force to bring a shift. So that's what I believe. All right. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Bridges, for sharing on that. And if people want to learn more about this topic, where can they find your book? They can go to uh, com uh, to get more information on our books. So go anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, anywhere books are sold. All right. Fantastic. And would you mind closing us out with prayer today? Sure. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the power of prayer. Lord, you said that prayer is highly effective. Even as Elijah prayed and it stopped raining in all of Judea for three and a half years, Lord, we ask now that not our will, but your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, for the leaders, according to 1 Timothy 2 that all that are in authority, that we might live a peaceful life in all godliness and sincerity. Lord, we pray for the leaders. The heart of the king is in your hand. Turn it towards your purposes. We pray for the church. We pray for those who are serving. We cover them in your blood, and we thank you for this broadcast. And all of our listeners, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Keenan Bridges here on Charisma Connection, here on the Charisma Podcast Network. 
I'm Taylor Berglund, and thanks for joining us today. We live in dangerous times, a time in which a person could be attacked by terrorists while watching a concert or sipping a latte at his favorite cafe, a time in which an epidemic from one country could spread to another through a single traveler, a time in which earthquakes, floods, and other calamities seem to be happening all too often. But there is good news for the believer. In his newest book, international best-selling author Joseph Prince shares how God has already given us the answers to live protected from danger and harm with Psalm 91, his powerful prayer of protection. It is through Psalm 91 that we and our families can find safety and deliverance for every snare of the enemy. By reading his new book, you will learn how to live fearlessly in these dangerous times. Get your copy of The Prayer of Protection by Joseph Prince and experience the blessings found in Psalm 91. Published by FaithWords, available wherever books are sold. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible. <music>